My Mother, The Person and the Patient is an original podcast written and hosted by me, Fartuma Kuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdesamid Muhammad, Ayeya we call her. That's grandmother in Somali, and her great-grandchildren call her Ayeya too, and that is their way of saying great-grandmother. When I realized it was my job to meet my mother in the world she was in, to be with her in that world, instead of trying to bring her back to a world that made no sense to her, a world that didn't belong to her as much as she didn't belong to it. And that included me trying to look around at our living arrangement to see how I can make whatever we lived, whether it was that house or another house, for the house to um, conform so it meets my mother's needs, rather than expecting my mother to navigate through using the house and the stairs and all that the same way that she did before she was diagnosed. That was 2015, and my youngest went away for college um, the fall of 2015, and she was the last to leave home at the time. And now it was just my mother and I living in the house. It's not a huge house, but it was enough for the five children, my mother and I, but now it was just only two of us. So we were living in 30% of the house, the two of us. So I thought, I would sell the house and buy something smaller than the one I had where it was open area and my mother could um, navigate through it. So I started looking and I had this real estate agent, the same agent who helped me buy the house I lived in at the time, 20 years before that. So he started helping me look for a house. And I'm not sure if I really wasn't ready to sell my house because that's what I needed to sell my house to buy something else or if I wasn't finding something good because the months passed and we kept on looking in every house we looked I didn't really like it some of them were too big some of them were too pricey some of them were too small but for the most part I was looking for homes with a larger Uh, hallways where my mother could use a walker on a wheelchair. I wasn't finding what I needed or maybe there was hesitation on my part. And then one weekend, all my children came home and the house I was living in that I thought I was going to downsize was just the right size. I felt that I couldn't let go of that house because I still need it because my children, even though they were adults, even though they were all out of the house, but they were, at least two of them, were still in transition of going through school and going back and forth. So so I thought I really need to keep the house we had. So that's the thought that came to me. And the following week, I went with um, with the real estate agent and I'm just telling him the challenges, having all the kids come in. And somehow or another, we got into the discussion that this real estate agent was a man who took care of both his parents. And one of his parents, I can't remember right now whether that was his mom. I think it was his mom that had Alzheimer's. And he said he uh, moved them from their house and 
moved them into his own house. And he had to make the house adjust to them, which meant that he continued to remodel the house each time a need came to the point that he had a ceiling lift installed in his house, which he said cost him like $30,000 to do that. And then he had that ceiling lift from the bedroom to the bathroom to the living room and back in his entire ceiling. So so that's what he did. For some reason or another, the thought to remodel my house and make it adapt to my mother's needs didn't occur to me until the real estate agent told me what he had done and the cost of it. So he said to me, you can either sell this house and buy something else, or if you are happy with the house you have and it's comfortable landing spot for your children while they are in transition, you might want to consider remodeling the house and holding on to it and have the house meet your mother's needs while you and your children are still using a house that you raised your children that has a lot of not only monetary value but has sentimental value for you. I really appreciated that advice because giving me that advice, that real estate agent actually worked against his own best interest. He wasn't going to make money to help me buy a house, but he gave me that advice. He said, that's what I did for my parents and that what worked for us. At the time, he's telling me this, both his parents were gone, but he still had the house and he still had those remodelings. And he said, Whenever he decided to sell that house, unless somebody that needs that accessibility buys it from him, he will have to take all those and bring the house back to where it was before he moved his parents in. And that's when I decided I was going to remodel my house and to make sure it meets my mother's needs instead of selling the house and getting into something else that wasn't necessarily meeting my needs. So I thought if I remodeled my house, it could meet all of our needs, my children coming in and out and my mother's needs. That's what I decided and that has made all the difference. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient, to see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood. I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. The following is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory. The year that followed Timira and her family's return home transformed her into a woman of the house. Unlike the other children, some her age, others older or younger, including her brother, played and took their lessons while she spent her day cooking, 
cleaning and mending clothes. She'd missed being a child and running about without aim or care. Only she wouldn't admit to it, not to her father, a man lost in a forest of his own grief. Each time the desire to play germinated within her like the seeds of corn and beans on the farm and threatened to sprout into existence, Timira would push the feeling back down with all the force she could master. Closing her eyes, she drew all her attention to breathing, inhaling and exhaling. She'd continue like that until the moment passed, uttering the words of desperation that lingered at the tip of her tongue just behind her lips would have devastated her father. She dared not twist the knife of betrayal her mother had plunged into his chest. The ache of the wound he carried with him was evident in how he moved about. His hunched back, he whispered everything as if he could not push the words out. Dark cloud hung over him. Still, he moved with determined steps, despite the terrible blows he'd suffered. Unlike her mother who'd abandoned them, his willingness to look beyond his pain and see his two children made him different than their mother. For that, Timiru couldn't leave her father. She wouldn't do it for the world. The villagers had three good raining seasons that year. The harvest was plenty, filling the silos with crops that could see them through another year even if it didn't rain again. Cows gave birth to calves, providing an abundance of milk, butter, and cheese. Chickens laid eggs, and water wells overflowed. Wedding proposals that were halted last year moved ahead at full speed. There were three ceremonies in two months. Due to the change in her situation, Timira moved closer to the mothers and away from the daughters, Marian and Ambia treated Timiro like one of them. All of the women in the village, Timiro was closest to these two. Perhaps her relationship with their daughters before her mother left cemented their connection, or the fact that their homesteads were located on either side of her family's farm solidified the connection. They were sharing stories from the gossip mills and helping her dress like them a 13-year-old girl masquerading as a grown woman. Did you see that man? Marian asked that question one day in a mid-laugh. What man? Timiro, Marian, and Halima were on the periphery of one of the wedding ceremonies held that month. Tall metal poles were created in the four corners of the village square, forming a perimeter around the wedding circle. Drapes made of colorful fabric of cascading red, yellow, orange, and burgundy splashed across and dangled from clotheslines. The spring air blew in and made the fabric move to the beat of the drums. The wealthy family of the groom slaughtered the camel and fed the entire village for three days. Rice, meat, beans, soup, vegetable dishes milk and tea flowed with the rhythm of the music that played from the morning to the death of the night on all three days the atmosphere was pulsing with excitement when the bride and groom were ushered in the middle of the leading dance circle 
exhausted from dancing and the amount of food they ingested, Timiro and the other woman left the dance floor and sat on one of the benches west of the square. The drum beats for the couple's dance filled the air, making the ground beneath their feet vibrate. The moon shone beaming down silvery rays that glittered as they landed on the decorative tables, holding trays full of food. The star next to the moon winked before it slid behind the fluffy cloud. Timiro scanned the area in search of the man Mariam spoke about but she only saw a crowd in a perpetual motion of eating, laughing, and dancing. He moved to the other side, Halima explained, sitting to Timur's left. He was watching you the entire night. I think he has his eyes on you. How were they able to observe him without Timur noticing anything? And why would anyone be looking at her, her stunted growth, without a mother to guide her in the ways of womanhood? She often noticed other women either scoff at her mockingly or stare at her with pity. No matter how much she'd watch how other women did things, from cooking to cleaning and dressing, she always failed. He wants to marry you, Halim speculated. Marry me? Hearing such a claim from them shocked Timiro. Idle gossip. A way to say a few pointed comments about her mother's action or her doomed future of not becoming a real woman. I'm not marrying anyone. I have my father and brother to take care of. Your father has a need you couldn't fulfill. Marian placed a hand on Timira's shoulder, a touch that meant, as she learned decades later, to convey a deeper meaning than the words. He needs a wife, Halima said. How do you know? The word snuffed out the joy of the wedding celebration all around them. Her ears ceased to hear the drum beats that only a minute before were making her legs move to the rhythm involuntarily. The unfamiliar sensation of joy that fluttered in the bottom of her belly, listening to the wedding songs disappeared, replaced by the familiar fear and uncertainty that had governed her entire existence since her epic loss over a year ago. The phrase, a wife, rang through her ears, thundering her heart against her ribcage. He never said, he doesn't have to say it, Marian responded as if she expected such a childish statement from Timiro before she knew she would react in such a way. Her answer sounded pre-planned, rehearsed, it's written all over him, Halima said. She was right. Timiro's father seemed to have lost some of his strength, just like she'd lost her childhood. That has nothing to do with needing a wife, Timiri insisted, even though she knew, not clearly at the time, but she knew they might be right. You are a blessed child and he's lucky to have you, but he needs a wife, Marian said. She spoke with a mournful tone. Not what they said, but the certainty they spoke with made Timiri shiver. The night was warm and dewy, but cold. The air skittered over her entire body, making her teeth chatter. What did it mean for her father to take another wife, to replace her mother for himself in a way she couldn't replace it for herself? Where would that leave her, her brother? What was she if not the caretaker of her father and brother? 
Too many questions with no answers filled her mind. Her stomach heaved, threatening to birch her dinner. I have to go home. She left the two women standing there. The few days that followed the town square revolution, her two women friends pressed on her father's need for a wife. The idea accompanied them everywhere, at the water well, to and from the field, while they collected firewood and in the yard as they worked on the grinding stone to beat the millet. The running narrative of the need to make sure her father gets a wife stayed with them. You could help your father if you get married first. I'll do no such thing. The only thing Timira was certain about in her blurred future was that she had no desire to marry. Never. Your father doesn't have enough cattle for a dowry. Marian was the leader in these discussions. If you get married, your father could use your dowry to get a wife. Timira stared at the woman. Only half hearing, her ears were filled with the whooshing sound of another loss on the way. One like the last two, she feared would drown her if she let it. There is a wealthy man with countless herds of cows and camels that wants you, Marine continued. Your father can ask as much as he wants for your dowry. As much as he wants? That part of the statement landed on Timura's chest like a large butcher knife and gutted her like the chicken her father had slaughtered and cleaned for dinner the night before, reduced to nothing more than a parting chip. Look there, he's there watching you. Halima pointed at a man standing on the other side of the field. He likes you so much. Timira looked up from the pail of corn she was detasseling and saw a man standing next to a tree on her family's property line. He was tall and skinny, not much younger than her father. His hair thin and gray sat on his shiny scalp in wisps around the bald middle section. The thick hair on his chin was dark as if the strands were painted upon his face instead of growing there. I've never seen him before. He's not from here. Sadi's mother nodded in his direction to acknowledge him. The man dropped his head down, turned around and walked away. He's related to the groom in the last week's wedding. I am marrying no one, Timira said, hoping that would shut them up and stop the nonsense. The story of the man from another village interest in Timira grew beyond her two women friends. Girls including Saadia and Ambiya spoke in hushed voices when they saw her approach and giggled as she passed. Soon the whispers went through the entire village and reached the elder. You need a wife and she needs a husband. Timira heard the elder speaking to her father only two weeks after the tale began. She stopped beyond the threshold, put the tea kettle down and waited to hear them freely. I spoke to the man and inquired after him. He's widowed and has no children. She's not marrying a man that will take her away from all she knows. Timira's father sounded firm. This is the man who came for her. The elder said as if speaking to an errant child. We have no control over our children as Alaf. There was a long silence before her father spoke. You know I can't send her away, not while she's still this young. 
Timira smiled, relieved that her father wasn't selling her off. He had no intention of giving her to the first man that came for her. This is a difficult decision, but it's a blessing for this man to come to our village and ask for her hand. The elder stopped here, as if waiting for Timira's father to agree. He didn't. Timira wanted to run to her father and hug him. She wanted to wrap her arms around his neck and kiss the top of his head. Instead, she stood there listening, waiting for the elder to leave. How long are you planning to continue living like this? Having your daughter do a task a wife should? Timira's father said nothing in response. A year? Maybe two? And do you know if you will have the right man for her so you can take a wife for yourself? Timira didn't know why everyone was worried about her father taking a wife when he himself didn't say a word in that regard. I can't send her away not that far. In that, her father sounded so sure. Would you at least talk to her about it? She's a child. She'll have nothing to say about it. Timira walked into the room as soon as the elder wished her father peace and left. She didn't know when and how she'd reached the decision, but her action only became apparent after she put it into words. Abo, I want to marry him. Timira made no eye contact with her father. If she did, he could have seen through her the fear that welled inside her up against her desire to replace for him what her mother had taken away from him. If she was robbed of a mother, there was no reason her father should suffer the same fate. A wife can be replaced, and Farah might get a mother out of it. Unlike Timiro, her brother was too young and could adapt quickly. Could he not? Timiro wasn't sure about that, but she wanted to believe some good would come out of it. Mary who, the man the elder was talking about, you don't even know him. I have seen him. Seen him where? Her father's forehead creased with more questions than he'd asked. I saw him at the wedding. That doesn't mean you know him. Her father's eyes landed on her with so much sadness. He's not from here. I can't send you that far away. He is what my Alaf brought me. She repeated what the elder had said. We must accept that. It's the best. Best for who, her father asked. For you to have a wife. For Farah to have a mother. Her voice faltered. What about you? Her father picked up where her unspoken feeling left it off. I'll be fine. I'm a grown woman of 13. You're a child. Her father pulled her close and they hugged for a long time. My mother, the person and the patient can be found in all your podcast streaming apps or head to my website fortumacuso.com to listen to the entire season. Please do not forget to listen, like, share, and follow. And join me next week as I share with you another episode of my mother's journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you.